Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be on CT of small bowel tumors, detection, and classification. I think the most critical thing to doing a successful CT examination is in the prep. If you want to be able to detect tumors when they're small, you need to be really importantly watching the oral contrast and the intravenous contrast. If I'm looking for small bowel tumor, ideally, I like water as a contrast agent. 1,000 cc's given over about 30 minutes. And then IV contrast is critical. Injection rate, 5 cc's a second or so, depending on patient's renal function, whether using Omnipake or Visipake, usually 100 to 120 cc's max will work depending on patient size. Now, people have written articles using Volumen. Volumen brings fluid into bowel, so theoretically would be ideal in a sense it creates diarrhea, so the bowel is fluid-filled. Um, our success with Volumen hasn't been any better than with water. Volumen's fairly expensive. Some patients don't tolerate it very well. There are a number of protocols online, two or three bottles of Volumen with a certain sequence. Here's a protocol where there's um, three bottles of Volumen and water, uh, and you wait about 60 minutes total. We've been using two bottles of Volumen with a 30-minute wait. So that can be another technique, but I think you really have to see what works best for you. When you do evaluation of the small bowel, it's often defined as CT enterography. Good article by Elsays really goes through this, and it's worthwhile reading. Now, when you think about applications, there are many applications from looking at Crohn's disease or following Crohn's disease to valuing for suspected GI bleed or mesenteric ischemia. The one we're going to focus on in this lecture is looking at small bowel tumors. Now, as I mentioned, ideally, if I'm looking for tumors, I will do dual phase imaging. I don't do non-contrast, and I don't do delayed phase imaging. I use thin section CT because I want to do reconstructions. So 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5 millimeters, whether it's 64 slice or beyond. So whether I'm doing it on a 64 slice scanner or I'm doing it on a dual source scanner, those same parameters work very nicely. It's critical to remember that when you're evaluating for small bowel tumors or the small bowel in general, be it inflammatory or ischemia, Axials are the first step, but then multiplanar, particularly coronals, curved planars occasionally, but surely volume rendering and MIP images become very critical. If I showed you this case, and I know where the lesion is, so I stopped perfectly to show you the lesion, but you can see something on the duodenum second portion. But if I go from the 2D to the 3D, Look how much better you can see that one centimeter enhancing lesion, which was a duodenal carcinoid tumor. Very nicely seen, very subtle, but easy to see. Or in this example, you can see the patient's lesion on the coronal view very nicely defined. Look how easy it would be to miss that lesion. It's all of a little bit more than a centimeter. But it becomes very obvious when you look at the right plane, and the coronal plane was for this plaque-like lesion. The whole issue, interestingly, about coronal imaging, for surgeons, this article made the point that they love coronal imaging. Three out of four surgeons perform, prefer it to axial imaging. So it's not just a radiologist's perspective, but it's a surgeon's perspective as well.
Now, when we look for small bowel tumors and you look at presentation, one of the most common presentations would be bowel obstruction. The one would have to admit small bowel tumors are a small cause of small bowel obstruction. When you look at the specific numbers, the majority are adhesions and neoplasms are under 5%. When you look at the findings in bowel obstruction, those findings, regardless in most cases of the cause, can be very similar. We talk about wall thickening. We talk about abnormal wall enhancement, though that's probably more common in patients with ischemic bowel, but you can have increased or decreased enhancement. We talk about positioning of the bowel, and that's when we're looking for internal hernias. Uh, occasionally, uh, small bowel tumors can be lead points and lead to intersusceptions, which can lead to malposition of bowel, but something you always look at. And of course, mesenteric fat, Many tumors will have associated inflammation nearby or have disease in the mesentery, like adenopathy. When bowel loops are over 2.5 centimeters, we consider them distended, and we look for transition points. The feces sign is one transition point where you see air bubbles and intestinal content proximal to the site of obstruction, and you could really follow that nicely in many cases, and it's really one of the very good signs in looking at small bowel obstruction. We also look at small bowel wall thickening, as we commented, but also transitions. So in this case, dilated small bowel, you can see fluid in the proximal dilated bowel, then you see the feces sign in the more distal small bowel, you follow it to the right lower quadrant, you see there's a transition point, you don't see a mass, that was due to adhesions, small bowel obstruction. And so whether it's adhesions or tumor, the same principles apply of looking at things in three dimensions and looking for transition points. So now with small bowel tumors, less than 5% of GI tract tumors with a variable clinical presentation. They're often difficult to diagnose. The average time from presentation to diagnosis is 6 to 18 months with small bowel tumors. When you look at small bowel tumors, they're becoming more frequent. Incidence of small bowel cancer has increased over the past several decades with a fourfold increase in just carcinoid tumors. And in fact, when you run the numbers, depending on the series you look at, adenocarcinoma or carcinoid are going to be the most common small bowel tumor. Lymphoma and sarcomas kind of bring up the rare. When we talk about small bowel tumors, we can divide, divide them into primary tumors like adenocarcinoma lymphoma or metastasis. And we are seeing more metastasis these days as patients live longer with better chemotherapy. So one of the things you always need to think about in patients with known tumors or prior tumors with treatment is could this be metastatic? So let's start with adenocarcinoma. What do we see? Diffuse infiltration, we can see polypoid masses or a constricting lesion or a large ulcerating lesion, kind of the same description you would have in some sense with an upper GI series. Adenocarcinomas are more common proximally than distally. And they are associated with certain syndromes, Crohn's disease, celiac disease, sprue, familial polyposis are all things that have increased incidence of adenocarcinoma. There's also an increased risk in patients with Crohn's disease and patients who eat certain diets. Smoke to cured foods may increase a person's risk of small bowel tumors. In terms of presentation, 
Look at the presentation. It's very variable. Pain, nausea, vomiting, weight loss, GI bleeding, lack of reliable clinical findings. It's just not one of those things where the clinical presentation is so easy. Vague abdominal pain, a range of symptoms. Maybe you're thinking about pancreas tumors or liver tumors or just inflammatory bowel disease or ischemic bowel disease or GI tract infection. Very, very hard to be certain. And you can see because of that, Unless you're very careful, it's so easy to miss. And that's what really leads to a delay in diagnosis. Sometimes the patients don't get the right study. Sometimes they get the right study, but it's performed incorrectly. And sometimes it's performed correctly, but we miss the diagnosis. So in this case, coronal views, look how nicely you see the thickening of the focal portion of the second to third duodenum. There's a polypoid mass present. You see proximally and distantly the normal folds. Here you see a two centimeter mass. That was a cancer. Think how easy that is to miss without looking at this plane or without looking at uh, good distension. Or this example, when you look at the third portion of the duodenum, it looks kind of maybe a bit full, but easy to walk by, very easy to walk by. But look at the coronal. Look how extensive the tumor from the second portion of the duodenum to the ligament of trites. Very extensive and so easy to miss on the axial view. You would think this was causing obstruction, but it's not. Sometimes transitions are easy. You see the thickening. You see the prominent enhancement. And so a very nice example here of an adenocarcinoma causing obstruction. And occasionally you will get fooled. Here's an obvious large mass referred to pancreatic cancer clinic. Interestingly, we don't see dilated ducts, so maybe you'd say, okay, could this be something besides pancreatic? We talk about things that simulate pancreatic tumors, just tumors of the small bowel. We never really think about adenocarcinoma when it's bulky, but it can simulate a pancreatic cancer. So in this case, large mass by head of pancreas, the mass is ulcerating, and this was initially felt to be a large carcinoma of the pancreas invading duodenum. At the end of the day, it was a primary duodenal cancer. And there's another example of a large duodenal cancer, which again, kind of looks like pancreas in part, but and it's obstructing the portal vein, it's obstructing the common duct, yet this was an aggressive uh, tumor of the duodenum simulating a pancreatic cancer. Duodenal cancers can subtly enhance, and you can see in this case, the lesions all of two centimeters, medial wall. Again, it's just very subtle, but easy to recognize, and there's some small aortocaval nodes present. Here it is in 3D, very nice example. The enhancement, the prominence of the folds, all of this very nicely seen, and you can see why water is so good as a contrast agent in this scenario. Now, other times, the way you look at the images will depend or define how easy it is to see. Here, I would admit the third portion of the duodenum is dilated and there's a transition, and you should suspect something, which is much easier to suspect on the coronal views. Look at the transition by the third to fourth portion of the duodenum, this large infiltrating tumor. Unfortunately, this patient who had symptoms for well over a year now has multiple liver metastasis and would be unresectable for cure. But look how easy it is to miss that originally. And here it's diffuse infiltration with a small bowel adenocarcinoma with liver metastasis. Now, talking about tumors arising in bowel in patients with uh, long-term conditions like Crohn's disease, 
Here's a good example of markedly distended bowel, Crohn's patient. So you figure like many Crohn's patients, there must be a stricture. And sure enough, right lower quadrant, inflamed, thickened bowel, transition point, Crohn's disease. Patient needs surgery. Now in this case, the stricture is so long and the obstruction so impressive, there's no choice about treating conservatively. This patient had been treated conservatively for the past 18 months, but the process only worsened. So you can see very nicely in this case, the thickening. Now you would say, okay, most compatible with Crohn's disease. That's what I thought, that's what the surgeons thought. Uh, at pathology, a couple days later, this ended up being an adenocarcinoma in an area of Crohn's disease. There's no mass effect, so sometimes you get that adenocarcinoma with dysplasia, but there's no true mass effect present. So usually you will get um, you know, some idea of when you have Crohn's and the, the bowel looks really thickened, or you see lots of nodes, you might at least think about that possibility. If you would think about the possibility of cancer, it becomes important the surgeon does a wider excision, and also they will sample more nodes at time of surgery. Now the second tumor type we'll speak about are carcinoid tumors. They're an unusual group of tumors that range from indolent tumors to aggressive metastatic disease. It's one of the tumors that's increasing in incidence over the past several decades, more common in women in the fifth to seventh decade of life. 60 to 70 percent of carcinoids occur in the GI tract, and now in the bat large bowel is the most common site. The small bowel is indeed number two in that regard. When it involves small bowel, it's most common distally, like in the ileum, and least common duodenum. Uh, it's more common in men and more common in African Americans and less common in Hispanics. Presentations are variable. Incidental finding on endoscopy or CT. You may have carcinoid syndrome where you have these episodes related to metastatic disease in the liver. In order to have carcinoid syndrome, you need liver metastasis, essentially. You can present with bowel obstruction, perforation, intussusception, ischemia, and GI bleeding. Now, when you speak about carcinoid tumors, you can divide things up into duodenal carcinoids and distal or ileal carcinoids. The duodenal carcinoids are unique because serotonin excess and carcinoid syndrome rarely occur as they arise from the enterochromaffin cells. Uh, these um, duodenal carcinoid tumors um, are more frequent in the uh, periampulary region in patients with type 1 neurofibromatosis. With neuroendocrine tumors, the tumors are small but in enhance intensely, often on both arterial and venous phase imaging, and when they're located periampulary, they can indeed obstruct. Some basic facts, these tumors um, account for 26% of GI metastasis, ileum is the most common site of small bowel carcinoid. Uh, arterial phase imaging is critical for CT detection of the lesions, though some of the lesions, as noted, may be seen better or as well on venous phase imaging. A classic thing is desmoplastic reaction with mesenteric masses, and up to 40% of carcinoid tumors are in fact multifocal. If you look at the CT findings, the classic thing, primary mass in bowel, used to be uncommon now with better resolution CT and faster scanning with bright tumor masses we can see them more commonly desmoplastic reaction mesentery mesenteric mass with desmoplastic reaction calcification is so classic calcification from mesenteric mass 
and liver metastasis are all things that you might see. Now with carcinoid tumors, they secrete serotonin, which is metabolized by the liver and excreted in the urine. Liver mets are seen in over 90% of patients with carcinoid syndrome, and that's a critical thing. You're not gonna get metastasis to the liver unless you have carcinoid syndrome typically. And as we said, the liver metastasis are simply vascular. When you look at some of the numbers, this article by Kamali talked about the accuracy of CT for lesions under 30 millimeters, that it was indeed high when compared to surgery and enterocolysis. The uh, detection sensitivity and specificity of 196%. Negative predictive value, 100%. Positive predictive value, 94.7%. Those are very impressive numbers and Kamaui then made the point that it's the potential to be the study of choice by providing these multi-planar uh, images and detecting even the smallest tumors because of enhancement. So again, this is becoming state of the art. And just simple examples, here's a duodenal carcinoid tumor, not as bright as the typical ileal carcinoid tumors. Again, what could this be? It could be a gist tumor perhaps. It's a smooth mass with ulceration in the uh, second portion of the pancreas, but a very nice example of a duodenal carcinoid tumor, really nicely shown in this example. Again, duodenal carcinoid tumors enhance, but typically aren't as bright as the ileal carcinoid tumors. One pitfall, perhaps, is when you have duodenal carcinoid tumors, it may be hard to distinguish them from a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas. They could almost be in the same space. Here, this looks all the world like a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor, and in fact, it was a duodenal carcinoid tumor, and you can see it here in 3D, so it can be very difficult. I mentioned the accuracy of CT, and you could say, wow, the high 90% range, is that too much? Well, it's how well you do the study. You look at this example, look at the fourth portion of duodenum, at first glance, you see nothing, then you put a circle there and you say, wait a second, I see something there. Then you do coronal views and you really see something there. So you can see very nicely, this is under a one centimeter vascular lesion, but it's easy to recognize. And this was indeed a carcinoid tumor, but think how easy it is to overlook unless you're very careful with technique. Now a couple other things with carcinoid tumors, they're often multiple. Here's a patient, when you look at the small bowel, that looks like multiple vascular lesions in the distal ileum, which is in fact easier to see on the volume rendered 3D imaging. And when you take it one step further on the MIP imaging, look how obvious it becomes. And this patient has extensive disease. Patients with carcinoid tumors can get extensive disease, and that indeed is very, very common. Now, in terms of uh, looking at different carcinoid tumors. We also talk about the ileal carcinoid, as I mentioned to you. These are typically very, very vascular and classic location, terminal ileum by the ileocecal valve, shown nicely here, and then very nicely shown on the coronal display. And you can see this case also has the mesenteric mass present. It's very common to see both findings. Here you can see the patient's SMA is encased with desmoplastic reaction. Both the primary tumor and the tumor in the small bowel and mesentery do enhance. 
Or in this example, look at the mass in the mesentery. It's enhancing, it's encasing the venous structures and encasing the arterial structures. You can see that desmoplastic reaction with the multiple collateral vessels, even better seen on the MIP imaging. So mass in the mesentery, desmoplastic reaction, calcification, you gotta think carcinoid. Other things, this could be sclerosing mesenteritis, uh, some nodes from another process, maybe an infectious process. But when you have the vessel encasement and narrowing SMV, SMA, and you have this mass, and it has a desmoplastic reaction, and it's vascular, it's going to be carcinoid tumor. Just a beautiful example. I mentioned before with carcinoid, liver metastasis are common. They're usually hypervascular. And in that scenario, you better be thinking about metastatic carcinoid tumor. Beautiful example of a mass in the root of the mesentery with multiple liver metastasis present. Not a very long and difficult differential diagnosis. So I've covered carcinoid tumors, and we've covered them in detail. We used to be able to see the mesenteric mass with the desmoplastic reaction and never saw the primary mass. Now with fast scanning and reconstructions and water as a contrast agent, it's very easy for, t for us with a high degree of accuracy to detect both the primary tumor and the sites of tumor spread. So with that, let me stop here and end on carcinoid and let's take a coffee break for 15 minutes and come right back and get started with just tumors of the small bowel. Be right back.